0: Howdy! You're listening to the Texas A&M Ruf Podcast. Hope you enjoyed the talk. Well, we're going to be continuing our series this evening, looking at how Jesus interacts with various groups of people, particularly on the page of the Gospels. And as we mentioned, you follow along the ministry of Jesus. He walked, you know, ministered to people for about three years. And you can't help but notice that he encounters and engages a large cross-section of people. You see him interact with religious, irreligious, seeker, doubter, skeptic, the rich, the poor, men, women, the powerful, as well as those um, on the margins of society. And one of the groups you see Jesus interact with most is his own inner circle, those we know as the 12 disciples of Jesus. Those who left everything to follow him. Those who knew him best. Those who were committed to spreading his good news message after his death and resurrection. And the passage that we're about to read tonight recounts a miracle from the life of Jesus. It's likely one of his most well-known miracles. It's the only miracle that's recorded in all four of the gospel accounts. Tonight we're going to be looking at the time when Jesus fed over 5,000 people with two fish and five loaves of bread. And in this miracle, we see Jesus interact in a special way with his 12 disciples, his closest followers, wanting to show them that if they would simply trust and depend upon him, that he would provide all of their needs. You might say that Jesus uses this miracle as a tool to show his disciples that he can be trusted. Now, we don't ever assume at RUF that everyone in the room would claim to know Jesus. We're always glad to have folks in our midst, as you know, who might be considering the claims of Christ. But for those of you in this room tonight who would claim to love and believe and follow Jesus, I want you to consider what Jesus might be wanting to teach you this evening about trust and dependence as we consider how he engages his disciples in this passage. Where can we identify with them? How might this interaction with Jesus challenge and cultivate your own faith? So with that question in mind, you follow along as I read from John chapter 6, beginning in verse 1. After this, Jesus went away to the other side of the Sea of Galilee, which is the Sea of Tiberias, and a large crowd was following him because they saw the signs that he was doing on the sick. Jesus went up on the mountain, and there he sat down with his disciples. there's a boy here who has five barley loaves and two fish, but what, what are they for so many? Jesus said, have the people sit down. Now, there was much grass in the place, so the men sat down, about 5,000 in number. Jesus then took the loaves, and when he had given things, he distributed them to those who were seated. So also the fish, as much as they wanted. And when they, when they had eaten their fill, he told his disciples, gather up the leftover fragments that nothing may be lost. So they gathered them up, filled twelve baskets with fragments from the five barley loaves left by those who had eaten. And when the people saw the sign that he had done, they said, This indeed is the prophet who is to come into the world. Perceiving then that they were about to come and take him by force to make him king, Jesus withdrew again to the mountain by himself. This is God's word. He gives it to us because he loves us and he wants us to know him. A while back, I was at an event where the final scene from the film Schindler's List was shown. And I imagine some of you have seen the movie. It won the Academy Award for Best Picture in 1994. It's a movie about a German industrialist named Oskar Schindler who was responsible for saving more than 1,000 Polish Jewish refugees from the Holocaust by giving them work in his factories during World War II. In the final scene of the movie, if you've seen it, you know that the depicts Oscar Schindler encountering the faces of the hundreds and hundreds of lives he was responsible for saving. And in the scene, you witness Schindler having kind of a moral crisis, an existential crisis, as he contemplates how he could have sacrificed further to save even more lives. In, in the scene, as Schindler looks at all the people he was responsible for saving, He begins to weep as he considers what more he could have done. He talks about what more he could have sold so that he might have saved more lives. And you see this man demonstrate lots of regret and sorrow over the fact that he could have done more. Someone who was responsible for saving over a thousand lives still lamenting the fact that he didn't do more that he didn't give more. Well, it's a good picture to have in mind as we begin considering our passage tonight. Because we often have the same kind of regrets and sorrows when it comes to what we wish we could do. We all have good plans. We have good intentions when it comes to how we'd like to show up, you might say. How we'd like to engage in relationship. How we'd like to engage with our service to others. How we'd like to engage with our church and our families and through our activities and on campus. We all long to love friends and family well, to work against sin, to make earth look a little bit more like heaven. Yet, while we have these desires and these intentions, and they're good, you know that we don't always accomplish all that we like to. You know there are significant areas of life where we come up short from having the impact we desire to have. Areas where we wish we could do more, where we could show up more faithfully. If you're a person who wants to serve and love and push back the curse of sin tonight, you have likely experienced the fact that your resources so often come up short. This side of heaven, there will always be more need left at the end of your resources. And this makes sense because resources are limited. Think about the resources that God has given you so that you might have a gospel impact in this world. Think about that. Think about how every single one of those resources is limited. Your money is limited. Your time is limited. Your energy has limits. Your gifts are limited. You're limited in your love that you can express. You're limited in the knowledge that you can have about situations. Our resources are limited. We are limited. While it feels like the demands and the needs that we encounter, they're oftentimes unlimited. There are more needs than we can meet with our limited resources. Our family has needs. Our friends have needs. Our classmates have needs. Our church has needs. Our UF has needs. The clubs we're involved in have needs. And on top of it all, we have needs. <laughs> and we often feel guilty and dry ourselves. Our desire for impact and our limited resources, they come together to constantly remind us that we are finite. We are limited people. You might even say sometimes it feels like we're trying to feed 5,000 people with just two fish and five loaves of bread, right? That's what we see in our passage tonight. We see enormous need on one hand and limited resources on the other. And the first thing we see in our passage is a need. We see in verse 4 that the Passover feast was at hand. Now, this would have been one of three annual feasts that took place in Jerusalem where Jews from all over the region would travel to celebrate God's mighty act of liberation from the hand of the Egyptians. The crowd that Jesus encounters here in John 6, they were likely travelers making their way to Jerusalem for that festival, and these crowds had likely heard about Jesus. His fame was beginning to spread. And in verse 2, we see that they began following Jesus because they had seen the signs that he was doing on the sick. They had witnessed the healing miracles. They had experienced the power of Christ. And these people, they were captivated by him. They were drawn to him. They were riveted by his teaching. And in our text, we read that Jesus went up on the mountain with his disciples in verse 3. Oftentimes, he would withdraw. Matthew actually says in this instance, he withdrew to be alone. And then he called his 12 disciples up with him. And while on the mountain trying to get a little peace and quiet, Jesus lifts his eyes and he sees a crowd coming toward him. Like we just mentioned, the crowd was in search of Jesus. They wanted to be around him. Certainly some needed the healing he could offer, right? And along with a large crowd of people comes a need. The need for provision. This crowd was going to need to eat. And they were in a desolate place, it says. So, Jesus has at least 5,000 men, not including women and children in front of him, who are hungry and without food. And when you include women and children, the crowd is likely somewhere in the neighborhood of 20,000 total people. Uh, think of a crowd the size of almost two reader rings, right? They would need to eat soon. Jesus knows this crowd has a need, specifically in this passage. And it's interesting to recognize how Jesus responds. When he's confronted with this insurmountable need, Jesus didn't get anxious about meeting this need. He wasn't angry that these people were needy and pressing in on him. He doesn't feel sorry for himself and the fact that he's in this situation. He simply asks Philip in verse 5, look at it, where are we going to buy enough bread to feed so many people? Now, Jesus knows there's no good answer to that question. But he wants his disciples to recognize the need, to feel the weight of it, you might say. By asking Philip this question, Jesus is putting him to the test. And it's important to remember that in that day and age, bread represented life. As you read the pages of the Gospels, you notice that bread is mentioned a lot because it's so important. But there was no local HEP back then where folks could grab a quick loaf of bread. That's not how it worked. People in that time weren't always sure where the next loaf of bread would come from, you might say. It was a valuable commodity, something people prayed for daily in that culture. Lord, give us today our daily bread. And we notice that Philip answers Jesus' question by recognizing the need is large. Look at it. He said, 200 denarii. Wouldn't he even come close to meeting the need? A denarii would have been a day's wage, as some of you know. And Philip is saying that about eight month wages wouldn't even begin to scratch the surface. And against that exchange, we see another disciple, Andrew. What does Andrew do? Well, he points out the fact that there's a boy, and he's got five loaves of bread and two fish. That's all they have, and it's obviously not enough for such a large crowd. It's almost laughable. I mean, why even bring it up, Andrew? But what we see is that Jesus is setting up a scenario where God will have and it's a gigantic need that has to be met. The resources on hand are completely inadequate. If these people are going to eat, something amazing is going to have to happen. God is going to have to show up in a big way. And that brings us to a worthy application question for us tonight, in some ways. Do you ever engage in anything that would be impossible without God's involvement? If you ever place yourself in positions, and they don't have to be extravagant, they can be very mundane, mundane positions where you don't have the resources emotionally, relationally, spiritually, intellectually to meet a need. Where you have to rely on God to come through. I wonder tonight where you feel that deep need. I wonder tonight where you feel that need, but you look at the inventory and it feels completely inadequate. We sometimes experience this, I think, in our call to evangelism, at least I do personally. Are called to share the gospel with friends. We know that we're called to share the good news of Jesus with friends, with classmates, with hallmates, but we hear their questions, we hear their doubts. Maybe they're open to talking, but the need is so big, and we feel like our inventory is so small. What if they ask me a question I don't know the answer to? And if God doesn't show up to multiply the effectiveness of our words, there's no hope of anything happening. We can't change anything. We can experience this in our call to serve and love our family and friends, to lay down our lives and pour ourselves out for others. We know we're called to sacrificial love and service, but the demands are high and our emotional resources often feel so low. We only have so much time and energy, so much love to give, so much knowledge. We have limited compassion. Oftentimes we feel dry in need of refreshing ourselves, how can we be asked to minister to others when it feels like we're the ones who need ministry ourselves? The need is high, the resources are low. And it's not unlike what we see in our passage, a massive need with limited resources. There's more need than there are resources to humanly meet the need. If the need's going to be met, God's going to have to provide. He's going to have to show up. And the good news for us is that God is in the business of providing. He often works most effectively when our need is largest. And that's the big idea tonight. The big idea. In the face of our limited resources, just when our need feels largest, we see Jesus provide for all we need. And this miracle seems to be focused on increasing the disciples' faith. They're the ones in this passage who are given the front row seat. I mean, if you step back and think about it, this is at least interesting to me. I don't know if it is to you. If it's not, don't tell me. It might be even that this large crowd doesn't know they're part of a miracle. They just get to eat, right? I mean, it's the 12 disciples who are scrambling here. The miracle seems geared towards them, encouraging their faith. And what you need to know about the disciples is that they have witnessed mighty miracles of Jesus. This isn't their first rodeo, so to speak, Right? I mean, remember, they were at the wedding feast in Cana where Jesus turned water to wine. They'd seen Jesus heal the invalid of 38 years. We talked about that this morning. They had heard Jesus claim to be equal to God the Father in his teaching and discussions with the religious leaders. You would think that they would catch on by now. Maybe at least one of the twelve, right? But you see from our passage they don't. And we just mentioned in verse 5, Jesus gives Philip an opportunity to express faith and trust. But we see his faithless response in verse 7. 200 denarii wouldn't even be enough for everyone to have a little bit of bread. But we can't be too hard on Philip. After all, he's just being a realist. He's just calling it like he sees it. But there is a part of us that wants to ask, have they already forgotten what Jesus did with the wine or the invalid? Well, after Philip fails the test of faith, Jesus asks the disciples to have a large crowd to have a seat on the green grass. And we see Jesus take the limited resources, five loaves and two fish. He gives thanks. This might be interesting. It certainly matters. The word in the Greek, and I'm not trying to show off, I'm not a Greek scholar, but it's eucharisteia, which means Thanksgiving, in which we often call the Lord's Supper the Eucharist, okay? Jesus breaks the bread into pieces. It's a Thanksgiving meal. He passes out the resources to the crowd. And we mentioned that this crowd was likely around 2,000 total people, uh, 20,000 total people when you included women and children. Now, how much does 20,000 people eat? Well, the answer would be a lot, right? 20,000 people eat a lot of food. And the text tells us that the crowd had all that they wanted. And when they had eaten their fill, Jesus sends his disciples to gather what's left over, which would have been quite the request if you think about it. Leftover's? No way. But they go collect the leftovers, and it takes 12 baskets to collect the bread. And what starts as a story with a massive lack of resources ends with more than enough after Jesus gets involved. And what we see along the way is how slow to learn and believe the disciples are through it all. They just don't get it. Even though they've seen Jesus come through over and over and over again, they witness miracles that aren't even recorded for us in the Scriptures. You know, Jesus did more than we have recorded. But Jesus is patient with his disciples. He isn't angry. He's not disappointed in them. He doesn't shame his disciples. Their eyes of faith are so cloudy. It's almost comical. It leaves us shaking our heads if we're in the story. But we can't be too hard on them because if we're honest, we see ourselves in them. Like them, we oftentimes don't get it either. Many of us have spent time walking with Jesus like these disciples Maybe we've even witnessed Him doing amazing things in our lives, or the lives of our family, healing sick family members, restoring relationships of our parents, yet we still fail like the original 12 disciples. We look at them and wonder, how could they not get it? But then we've got to look at our own lives and wonder, how can someone be a follower of Jesus for so long and still talk to people the way I talk to people? How can someone be a follower of Jesus for so long and still love comfort? The way I felt comfort. How can someone like me, who's followed Jesus for decades now, still medicate pain the way I medicate pain? How can we be so dense, so slow to appreciate what Jesus has done for us? Why don't we get it yet? We forget all the time. In fact, many of us will leave this weekend. It won't be a matter of hours until we're wondering again if God's good. And I'm not trying to shame us, by the way. It's just so easy to slip back into our lack of faith, wondering if God can really provide help in relationships or temptations or bring spiritual vibrancy to my life. And we've just got to admit that we're not different from the twelve disciples. But it's beautiful, and it's hopeful for us when we see how Jesus responds to them in this passage. Even in the midst of their doubt and unbelief, God continues to provide. And not only does he continue to provide, he invites his disciples to participate in the provision. In verse 6, we see that Jesus takes their inadequate provisions, blesses them. I want you to keep that in the back of your mind, by the way. And then gives his disciples the bread to set before the people, using his disciples in ministry. And this highlights something we need to constantly hear. God is not ashamed or embarrassed of you though he may have given them every reason to be. Jesus doesn't scold these disciples. He doesn't get angry with them. And it shows us something about who God is. He delights to use us. Even in our doubts, in line of faith, Jesus wants to use his disciples to feed these people. Aren't you glad passages like this are in the Bible? I mean, how discouraging would it be if the disciples were always painted in extraordinary ways? We had to live up to that picture. Passages that highlight the compassion of Jesus for the crowds are so important. And also, we see, he's got compassion for us as disciples who follow him, often full of doubt, even after experiencing his provision over and over again. It's so comforting, so reassuring. When we see how Jesus lovingly responds and continues to use us, despite our many doubts. Well seeing how limited we are in meeting the needs that we encounter, and seeing how Jesus is powerful to meet the needs that we can, what are we called to do as his followers? I just want to highlight a few things tonight quickly. The first thing we should do is fill ourselves. Fill ourselves. For those of you who have flown on a plane before, which I'm sure it's most everybody, if not everybody, you remember when the flight attendant gives the safety speech, and one thing they always remind you to do, Put your oxygen mask on first before attempting to assist others, right?
1: Well, the reason for that is pretty evident. You're not good at helping others with oxygen if you don't have
0: oxygen yourself, right? So one thing we can do is put on our own oxygen mask first, you might say. We need to come to Jesus with our own limitations, with our own needs, with our own concerns, with our own sorrows and laments, with our own joy and praise, We need to remember that we're needy, just like our friends and neighbors are, maybe more so in different ways. And Jesus wants to care for the very person we oftentimes neglect, which is ourselves. So come to Jesus for fresh, fresh spiritual oxygen, you might say, over and over again through prayer, through spending time with Jesus and his word, through personal worship and community. Breathe in God's promises, his provision for your life. And once you've experienced satisfaction from Jesus, once you've received his provision for you, then you move out and seek to fill others. And it doesn't have to be extravagant. Opportunities to fill others with reminders of God's provision will normally happen in the everyday rhythms of your life. Patience with your roommates A word of encouragement to a friend, listening to a family member, lingering with a new person after a large group on Wednesday night, speaking words of life into a hard situation. We are meant to experience God's blessing and provision for our spiritual needs so that we might be able to move out to love and serve our neighbors and friends. You might say we're called to minister out of the overflow of God's provision and love in our own lives. Maybe this semester you need to make some spiritual deposits in your own account, so to speak. By spending time with Jesus, by refilling the well, you might say. But we don't replenish the deposits just for our own enjoyment, do we? You're called to move out and spend those deposits, to begin making some withdrawals from the spiritual accounts that you've built up in your life so that others might be encouraged and sustained.
1: So that others might be
0: pointed to the same Jesus that's provided for all your needs. And knowing that we're limited and Jesus is eager to provide for all our needs, knowing that we're finite, Jesus is infinite, knowing that we're creatures, Jesus is creator, we are called to rest. We're called to embrace our limitation. You are a limited person. I and mean, just let that wash over you for a minute. You are a limited person. In most of your life, you might have been told the complete opposite, that you are limitless. But the fact that you recognize, I'm a limited person, it can be so freeing. It could allow you to rest. We're called to embrace our limits, stop trying to do everything. Like we mentioned before, we are limited people, limited in time, energy, love, knowledge, giftings. And the good news is that God is not limited. He is always at work, so we can rest. It reminds me of Aaron Rodgers, quarterback then of the Green Bay Packers a few years ago. After getting off to a horrible start, I think they were like 0 5 or 0 6. The press was really starting to lay into him and ask some tough questions about what was happening with him and the team. Was his career over? Why were they losing so much? And Aaron Rodgers can be a little brash if you know uh, who that is. And in answering their questions at one press conference, he looked into the cameras and he spoke very clearly into the microphone. By saying, R-E-L-A-S. Relax. He told the press to relax. He had it under control, and it turned out that he did, because the Packers started winning big and had a great season. But it'd be a good and appropriate thing to apply Roger's words to our own lives sometimes. Relax. And we can do that because God's at work. God's not surprised or ashamed of your limitations and weaknesses. He knows that you have it. and weaknesses, so that he might get glory and honor, so that he might follow through, so that others might see him providing and meeting needs through you, even when you don't feel like you can. Jesus takes a few small fish, five loaves of bread, and he turns these meager resources into a feast. Are you seeing where we're heading here? In verse 11 and 12, we see that all 5,000 people ate and were satisfied, and they took up the broken pieces left over, seven whole baskets And in this passage, we see Jesus take what seems to be so insignificant, so lacking. Jesus gives thanks. He breaks the bread, and he gives the bread to his disciples to distribute. That's how Jesus provides. And doesn't that sound like something you've heard before if you've read the gospel accounts? We see the same thing happening a little bit later in the ministry of Jesus, the night before he was going to be crucified. He's having dinner with these very same disciples, his 12 closest friends, and we read in the Gospel accounts that as they were eating, he took bread, and after blessing it, he broke it and gave it to them and said, Take, this is my body. And this is ultimately how Jesus provides. It's what this miracle in John 6 is meant to point us towards something that seems so insufficient on the surface. A 33 year old Jewish carpenter. Somebody that didn't have a house to live in, so meager, so limited, yet used by God to feed anyone who would come until they're satisfied. In fact, a few verse later in John chapter 6, Jesus looks at the crowds and they're beginning to follow him for more bread. They want physical sustenance. Jesus looks at them and says, I don't have any more physical sustenance, but I'll tell you something that's better. I'm the bread of life. And whoever comes to me shall not hunger, and whoever believes in me shall never thirst. And as we close tonight, I want you to consider for just a minute why exactly you would want this bread of life. Why would we choose the bread that Jesus offers? It's not only because he provides the satisfaction and fulfillment that our hearts ultimately desire. He certainly does that. It's also because this is the only bread that will die. Jesus is the only bread that doesn't demand that you be broken to get him. Think about it. Every other place you go for fulfillment, for satisfaction in life, demands that you work, demands that you sacrifice, demands that you work against your limitations, demands that you give until you're broken. But the bread of life, Jesus, is broken to get you. Unlike the other places that we go for fulfillment and satisfaction, Jesus offers us an easy yoke and a light burden. He knows that we are limited people. He delights to provide where we feel so insufficient. Other bread sap our life, demand our life from us, but Jesus gives us his life so that he might invite us to experience true life, so that we might have the resources that we need for ourselves and for others. We pray for us, Amen. Father, we are so thankful for your goodness and provision for us. We are thankful that you realize and are not ashamed that we are limited people. And that you take great delight in providing for all that we need. We know that you will do that because you've given us your son. Will you not also give us all things? Lord, make that our great hope tonight. Drill that deep into our hearts. We pray in Jesus. We hope that you've enjoyed this episode of the Texas AM RUF podcast. If you're interested in joining us for a large group, we would love to see you at All Faiths Chapel on the north side of campus across from Sabisa at 8 p.m. on Wednesdays. Go ahead and follow at AggieRUF on Instagram for updates about any other events we're putting on. We hope to see you around. Thanks and gig'em.